0: Well, if you're glad you saved, say amen. amen. That judgment day is coming. They're singing about the great white throne judgment that's recorded in Revelation chapter 20. Now, I'm so glad I'm on the right side of that judgment. Amen. So glad I'm not going to be cast into the lake of fire. And it's not because of something I've done not because I'm a good person. It's not because I'm a Baptist or I'm a preacher. It's not because I'm an American or I'm Southern. No, sir, it's because of Jesus Christ and what he did by hanging on the cross, dying for our sins and rising again the third day. That's why you and I don't have to go to hell today, praise And if you are on your way to hell, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. If you'll come to Jesus, he'll forgive you of everything you've ever done. He'll forgive you of everything you ever thought. He'll forgive you of everything you've ever said. He'll forgive you of everything. He'll forgive you of your sins in the past. He'll forgive you of the sins today. He'll forgive you of the sins tomorrow. He'll forgive you of all of it. And you'll not have to deal with one, one moment of the lake of fire. You'll come to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They started singing that song, and I thought, man, that's a big song. Are they going to pull this off? They pulled it off, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. That was tremendous, tremendous. I love that song. I love that song. I hate the thought that there will be those who will be casting a lake of fire. I hate that thought, but everybody has a chance. Not everybody has the same level of opportunity. We know that. But everybody, nobody standing before the Lord that did not have an opportunity to know the truth. Everyone is responsible. Not everybody hears the name Jesus, but Romans chapter 1 says that everybody has creation. They have nature that's around them to show them and prove to them there is a God. The Bible says through nature, the Godhead is revealed and eternal power is revealed. That's in Romans chapter 1. What that means is all you got to do is walk outside, look around, look at creation, and you'll know there is a God. That's what the Godhead means. There is a God and he's greater than us. Somebody made this. But because of the sin in people's hearts, they'll look at creation and instead of of wanting to know who the creator is, they decide, I think I'll just worship what I see. I'm going to worship the sun. I'm going to worship a totem pole. I'm going to worship a rock. And They worship the creature instead of the creator. That's Romans 1. The Bible says that God put his laws in our hearts. Romans chapter 2 gave men a conscience to convict them. You can go to the, the jungles of some country. They've never seen a Bible. They've never, never heard of Jesus. And you go into those nations, and they'll have some rules. Don't steal my stuff. Don't touch my wife. Treat people right. They'll have those rules in their, in their little villages. You say, Where'd that come from? God's laws on their heart, convicting them. I said all that to say this. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, I, I, I just couldn't know the truth. You didn't give me a chance. Uh, uh. If anybody goes to hell, they chose to go to hell. Right. Right. Paris Reed had a, a great preacher from the last century. Went to the continent of Africa because he felt sorry for them and in, in their darkness and their blindness. Wanted to take them the gospel. He said, I got there, and I realized they knew a whole lot more about heaven and hell than I realized they knew. That's what he said. He said, I got there in these jungles and realized, man, these people have a whole lot more knowledge about heaven and hell than I realized they did because of the witness of creation and the witness in their heart that there is a God. That means, however, that if you are here in America, the southeast, or let me, let me say it this way, right here at Fundamental Baptist Church, much is given, much is required. Everybody in here has a chance, has an opportunity to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Nobody has to go to hell. And I'm glad it's that way. I'm glad nobody has Amen, to go to hell. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I believe in the whosoever will gospel. I believe in it. I believe whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Praise his name. Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians 1. Thank you again, ladies, for the wonderful singing. The judgment's been one of my favorite songs for a long, long time. Hadn't heard anybody sing it in a long, long time. That was, uh, that was tremendous. The Kingsmen did it back in the 80s, and y'all did it better than them. i just like to say that. Their tenor had a funny voice. I didn't like it at all. Anyway... Y'all did great, praise the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to try our best, with the help of the Lord, to finish our thought from last time, considering the gospel ministry. And we're starting right in the middle. I know it's an odd place, but that's kind of where the thought process begins with the Apostle Paul. Right in the middle of verse 23, you'll see there he speaks of the hope of the gospel... Which ye have heard, he's talking to the church of Colossae, you've heard the gospel, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. What, What an accomplishment. I scratched my head over that, but we're talking, you know, we're talking maybe 30 years after Jesus went back to heaven, and the apostles and those disciples had gotten the gospel around the world. In 30 years, that's just, that's, that's amazing to me. They didn't have the internet. They weren't putting videos on YouTube. I mean, we, we, we can do that today by just sitting in our living room, putting something on a, a camera, and it sends out to the world. They didn't even have cars. <laughs> They're getting the gospel around the world. And then Paul says, whereof, still talking about that gospel, Whereof, concerning the gospel, I, Paul, am made a minister. He's a minister of the gospel. So we're looking at that thought, the gospel ministry. He says in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. This is what we looked at last week. In my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, that's part of the ministry, striving, that's part of the ministry, according to his working, God's working, which worketh in me mightily. The gospel ministry. Just for a moment, I want to remind you of verse 24 where he speaks of his sufferings and that he suffers for Christ, but for the body of Christ's sake, which is the church. The gospel ministry is a suffering ministry. Every Christian, not necessarily to the same degree, not necessarily in the same way, but every Christian suffers. That's a part of the gospel work. The choir sang about that earlier. Sometimes God allows. But God does not allow arbitrarily. God does not allow without purpose. God allows the sufferings and the struggles of the people of God because he has something very specific in mind for you and for the church of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons is it encourages the people of God. I I showed you last week in Philippians where the Apostle Paul spoke of the boldness of other Christians because of the suffering he was going through in prison. But you know, people in this world, They can watch the suffering of a child of God. You go to work tomorrow and you're you're having a difficult time. Those people on your job, they know that you are suffering right now. Yet they see the joy of the Lord and they wonder how in the world can you have that smile on your face? How in the world can can you have that peace and that contentment and that joy though you're facing what you're facing? And they'll see a difference between them and you because when they go through a hard time, they don't act like you and they don't talk like you and they don't they don't sing like you do, and they don't smile like you, like you smile, and they scratch their heads and wonder, what am I missing? God can use our sufferings even as a witness to this world. And they get saved, and they become a part of the body of Christ. I don't understand all the reasonings behind suffering, but that is a part of the child of God's life. Some people suffer with health problems. Some people suffer with mental issues, emotional issues. Some people suffer in tragedies, great losses in their life. But we suffer. There are saints of God all over the world right now suffering by way of persecution, being killed because they're Christians, or being imprisoned because they're Christians. Now, Persecution has not reached this country to the level that it has other countries, but there are still sufferings that are going on even here in America. And it's amazing how the more we get, the more it seems different types of sufferings enter in. We have found in America found out in America that uh, money cannot buy happiness, Amen, Amen. houses and cars cannot buy happiness. It's amazing when you see somebody who has it all, yet they're in deep depression. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have in this life. There will be a level of suffering. We're living in a period of time. We're living in a world that's filled with it. Every child of God is going to have to go through it. Salvation does not end suffering. That salvation sometimes brings extra suffering. I've seen situations where somebody came to the altar and got saved and placed their faith in Christ and within a week or two, everything falls apart in their life. And some people wonder and scratch, they say, wait, wait a minute, I, 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 they got saved. Why, why is it they get saved and then go through that? I think in some cases, God saves them because he does know they're going to go through that. Because he wants to walk with them through that. God is perfect in His timing. It's a suffering ministry. But starting in verse 25, I believe Paul indicates that this is a scriptural ministry. The gospel ministry is a scriptural ministry. He's going to talk about the Word of God in these verses. Now he says in verse 25 whereof I am made a minister. Talking about the church of Jesus Christ, mentioned in verse 24, the body of Christ. He he says, I'm a minister of the gospel and a minister of the church. He says, I am made a minister. That word minister there in the Greek is translated in a number of ways throughout the King James Bible. One of the main ways that the translators gave us this Greek word in the English is through the word servant. It's translated many times as servant. It's even translated as deacon. A deacon is a position of servant. He's talking about being a servant to people. I made a servant to people, to others. Watch this. According to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. Notice it's, For you. Remember, the suffering, he said, I'm suffering for you. And here he says, I'm a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. And that phrase, dispensation of God there, he's not talking about the period of time in which we live. He's talking about what was dispensed to him. He's talking about a stewardship that God had given to him for others. We can say it this way, every one of us have been dispensed of God. God has given to us a particular job to do. God has not called you to live for you. God's called you primarily primarily to live for Jesus Christ, secondarily for everybody else. Anna came to me this morning and said, did you hear about... There's an old actor, an old comedian, and Jim Carrey I said, did you hear about him talking about Jesus or something? I said, I had not heard about that. I was hoping to hear about Jim Carrey getting saved and coming to Christ. So I pulled it up, and I'm listening to Jim Carrey. He has not gotten saved. And what he was saying was, he said he doesn't even know if Jesus ever really existed or not. He's, he's started with that he was he was talking about Jesus and his concept of Jesus is what he was talking about but at the end of the video he was giving a speech somewhere and he said you know what the meaning of life is and, and he'd he being a comedian everybody kind of just started chuckling Jim Carrey gonna tell us the meaning of life you know what the meaning of life is and they all yeah yeah we want to know and here's what he said he said Love yourself. Love yourself. That's what the meaning of life is. Love yourself. The first verses that came to my mind was 2 Timothy 3, 1, where in the last day's perilous time shall come, men shall be lovers of themselves. If you don't believe we are there, pull up Facebook. Pull up Facebook. You'll find out real quick. We have entered into the season of men shall be lovers of themselves. I'll pull up a Facebook page and I'll think, wow, the narcissism is strong with this one. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. But life is not about loving yourself. But Jesus said you're to love others as you love yourself. We already love ourselves. We don't need any help. We don't need any instruction. I don't need a manual to tell me how to love me. Figured it out when I was born. January 8, 1974, I discovered America and fell in love with joy. Been loving me ever since. And you've been doing the same thing. We love us some us. We do. That's not the meaning of life. That's the problem of life. That's why we sin against God. We love our way more than we love his way. It's about us. But when you read the scriptures, you find that God wants us to be gospel ministers. And we're not talking about just simply a full-time position of pastor or evangelist. We're talking about people who are living for Christ first and others second. Paul says, I'm doing this for you. I'm suffering for you and I'm ministering for you. That is the dispensation of God that's been given to us. God has given you a stewardship. Live for me and live for others. What's that old cliche, that old crostic? Joy, J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And you'll have joy. When you get that mixed up, you have yaj. Who knows what that is? It's messed up is what that is. But most people are living in yodge instead of joy. You want joy, but Jesus first and others second. He says this is to fulfill the word of God. God has said it. Now he wants it accomplished. Now in particular for Paul, he says in verse 26, he says, even the mystery, this is what God had given him to do for others. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. Talking about in past time. But now, at this time, is made manifest to his saints. That word mystery is an interesting word. It's not talking about the way we use mystery, like a a mystery novel, trying to solve a puzzle. It's a mystery. A mystery in the Bible was something that in the Old Testament, it may have been revealed, or it, but if it was revealed, it wasn't revealed completely in its fullness. Or it could be it wasn't revealed at all. But now in the New Testament, what was partially revealed or not revealed at all in the Old Testament is now completely revealed to us in the New Testament. That's a mystery. And Paul says, God has given me the enabling, to teach on the mysteries. God gave the Apostle Paul special revelation about the truths that God wanted us to have in the New Testament that was not revealed completely in the Old Testament. And just in case uh, you're scratching your head wondering if that's really how I should explain that or that's the actual definition of mystery, go go to Ephesians chapter 3 real quickly. Let me show you that that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's revealing things that were not completely revealed or maybe not even revealed at all in the Old Testament. Now, in the book of Ephesians, remember Ephesians was written around the same time as Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written while Paul was in prison. If You go to Acts chapter 28, the last two verses, it talks about two years that the apostle Paul was in a hired house prison right there beside the palace of Caesar there in Rome. And he was in that hired house for two years, and during that two-year period of time, he wrote letters to the, book of Ephesians, uh, to the church of, uh, at Ephesus, I should say, uh, the book of Ephesians, and to the Philippians and to the Colossians. And Philemon, which was also where the church at Colossae met, at Philemon's house. It said all that to say this. You're going to see some similarities between Ephesians and Colossians. Written during the same period of time, he was in the same place, and the Holy Spirit's inspiring these things in him, bringing these things out of him, and now he's giving them to these churches. In Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. He's, he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. There's that ministry again. For you Gentiles. if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. Anything God gives us is to do something for somebody else. God doesn't just simply give for us to hoard. We're to be conduits. We're to be channels of blessing. God gives, and we give to others. Well, Paul says, God has given me a dispensation of the grace of God, and i am giving it to you. Verse 3, how that by revelation, Jesus Christ revealed this to him. He made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. There were things in the Old Testament that were revealed about Christ, but we didn't understand all of it until you get to the New Testament. Look what he says in verse 5. Here is the definition of a mystery. Verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men... Here's the key, as it is now revealed. It may have been revealed, but not as it is now revealed in the church age. It's now revealed under his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, there were things that were revealed, but today they're revealed in, their, in its completeness, in its fullness. I'm going somewhere with this. Look at verse number 6. He talks about one of the aspects of these mysteries that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Speaking of fellow heirs with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, the body of Christ, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister. Does, Does not this sound just like Colossians? Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. In the Old Testament, you knew the Jews were going to get saved and they knew the Gentiles were going to get saved. But what was not revealed was God was going to put them all in one body called the church. That was a mystery they did not see in the Old Testament. So today, if you get saved, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, If you get saved today, you don't become a part of a physical nation or or, or something of that nature. You're not a part of a physical bloodline. No, you become a part of the church. In Ephesians 2, that middle wall of partition that divided the Jews and the Gentiles has been taken down, and now we're put together. We're made one new man, according to Ephesians 2. We're the church, the body of Christ. And that was a mystery. They didn't see the church in the Old Testament. They didn't understand the body of Christ in the Old Testament. But today, we do. Think about this. When Moses and Abraham and Isaiah and David and all those great men were on this planet, you have more Bible knowledge about the things of God concerning the church and the workings of Christ than they did. Because of the time period in which you live today. The mysteries are not mysteries anymore, they've been revealed to us. So go back to Colossians. He says, verse 26, Even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches, that, that means the overabundance of God, Of the glory, that's the overwhelming radiance of God, of this mystery among the Gentiles. We're in a better covenant today, by the way. We see more glory. We see more of the riches than they did in the Old Testament because Christ has accomplished everything in his death, burial, and resurrection. In the Old Testament, they were before the death, burial, and resurrection. You and I are after the death, burial, and resurrection. We're under a better covenant. We have better things today. We have more revelation. He talks about the riches and the glory of this mystery. Watch this. Among the Gentiles. We knew the Jews would have a great blessing. But what they did not understand is how, how the Gentiles were going to get in on this. A Gentile, by the way, just in case you're not, un, you're not aware of this, that's someone who's not a Jew. The a Gentiles are non-Jew. We all knew, they all knew the Jews were going to have particular blessings. And they knew the Gentiles were going to get saved. They just didn't realize you couldn't tell the difference between them in the New Testament. Watch this. This mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, in the person and the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you get saved, Jesus moves in. Jesus moves in. Not only did they not realize that the Jew and Gentile will be brought together and make the church. But God himself is going to inhabit in the hearts of men, even the Gentiles, those lowly, dirty, dog Gentiles. In Acts chapter 2, well, that's not a surprise. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills the 120 in the upper room, and 3,000 Jews get saved and are baptized. That's not a shocker. But what was surprising was Acts 10. In Acts 10, an Italian named Cornelius, he gets saved and his servants get saved and his family gets saved. They're a bunch of Gentiles. And Peter said, what happened to Cornelius looked like what happened to us. What happened to these Gentiles is what happened to us. He said, what's the big deal? The big deal is we Gentiles got in on what God was doing. We're not aliens anymore. We're not strangers anymore. We're brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In chapter 1 here in Colossians, look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. Y'all see that? That means everything that comes with God comes with Christ. Look at chapter 2 in verse 9. Real quickly, look at chapter 2 verse 9. For in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ is everything that has anything to do with God. And all of him moves into us when we get saved. That means the fullness of God moved into you the day you got saved. That's why in Ephesians 1, verse number 3, he had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you got Jesus, you got everything friend. There's nothing left to be added. You don't need anything else when you get Jesus Christ. And Paul says, all of this is the fulfillment of the word of God. So when we take the gospel to a lost and dying world, we pass out tracts, we'll tell others about Christ, we see somebody get saved. What you're doing is you're taking this mystery that was not known in the Old Testament, but you're sharing it now with those around us. Now, you may not use the word mystery. You may not go into these theological details. But you give them the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that person bows their head and says, Lord, I, I trust you as my Savior. Please save me. You know what happens? This mystery moves in. All of God in the person of the Spirit of God moves in and that is the hope of glory. Because he said, I will never leave thee, Amen, bro. nor forsake thee. Once Jesus moves into your life, he moves in to stay. You see, preacher, you believe in eternal security? Once saved, always saved? Amen. Absolutely. Amen, bro. Absolutely. You are sealed till the day of redemption. You cannot be plucked out of the hand of Jesus Christ or the Father's hand. Once you are saved, you are always saved. I got into a little discussion the other day with a fellow over this very issue. He's trying to convince me that I could lose my salvation. I said, my friend, I said, it's interesting that, that you think that you have to help God get you to heaven. You know what's strange, Brother Jimmy? He didn't even deny that. He didn't deny that he was helping God get him to heaven. Guess what? Just let you in on something. You can't help God get you to heaven. If you could do anything to contribute to your salvation, then Jesus died on the cross in vain. The reason why he died and rose again is because there's nothing you and I can do to contribute to our salvation. Nothing. And to believe you can lose your salvation... That's to say that the birth I got from Joe and Evelyn Wampler is stronger than the birth I got from God. Because I'm always going to be their son. I'll always be their biological son. Even if they put me up for adoption kick me out of the house, I'm still their biological son. And nothing can change. You're telling me that Joe and Evelyn Wampler bringing me into this world is stronger than than God bringing me into the kingdom of God. No, sir, friend, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. But I believe you and I ought to trust the birth with him than we do the birth. I'm, ha- I'm having to just trust mama that it happened. I don't remember it at all. But I was there when Jesus put me into the family of God. Praise the Lord. I-, I remember that explicitly. I'll give you one more thought, and I'm going to wrap this up. The gospel ministry, it's a suffering ministry. That's difficult, but it's part of the Christian experience. It's a scriptural ministry. What God wants us to do is fulfill the word of God in the church and others' lives. But it's also a soul-winning ministry. It's a soul-winning ministry. He says in verse 28, whom we preach. He finishes verse number 27 talking about Christ in you. And he says, "This this is who we preach. We preach Jesus. Fundamental Baptist Church, if we ever get away from preaching Christ, we might as well shut the doors. Be done with it. We're here to preach Christ. In here and out there. Watch this. Warning every man. Warning. A, what, what do you mean warning? What are we warning people of? There really is a hell. There really is a judgment. You will stand solo before Jesus Christ one of these days. And if you do not know him as your Savior in that day, there will not be another chance. There's not going to be a second chance. There's not going to be a place for you in hell. Then you're brought out and you get a second chance. No, that's not how this works. Once you are dead, once you lead this life, once you take your last breath, your eternity is sealed. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you leave this world without Him, you'll spend eternity without Him. In the lake of fire. We have to warn people. Then he says, warn every man. Warn every man. I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody, but I am not a Calvinist. Calvinists teach that God has already determined who will and who will not be saved. So in their system, technically speaking, you could give the gospel to the wrong person. They could tell somebody about Jesus saving them, and that person was not chosen, not elect. They're essentially, God's saying, I want you to go and lie to people in the Calvinist system. Because the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 is Christ died for our sins. Calvinists say Jesus didn't die for everybody. He only died for those he chose to save. So if I tell everybody Christ died for our sins and I say that to somebody that Jesus did not die for, I'm lying. In the Calvinist system, you're forced to tell somebody a lie. But in a scriptural system, you don't have to lie to anybody. Christ died for our sins. He died for everybody's sins. And we can warn every man, and I can look at any sinner in the eye and tell them that Jesus will save them if they'll come to him, and I'm not lying. I'm not lying. We're to warn every man. Watch this. teaching every man in all wisdom, in all wisdom. Proverbs eleven thirty 30 says, he that winneth souls is wise. It takes some, uh, some level of wisdom, wisdom from God to win souls. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, be wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. Sometimes you got to do some sneaky soul winning, but you get them the gospel nonetheless. Be harmless as doves. And here's why. That we may present every man, because it's for every man, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. God wants everybody to be saved. Not everybody will be saved, but God will have all men to be saved. We take the gospel to a lost and dying world, they come to know Christ, and they will be presented as a perfect, a complete, mature person in Christ Jesus. God wants spiritual maturity in this life. He wants sinlessness in that life. In this life, God wants spiritual maturity. And When we go into eternity, there will be sinlessness because we will be just like Christ. But that comes through reaching them with the gospel. Then verse 29, whereunto I also labor, striving. That word strive, that's an interesting word. The Greek word that underlies the word striving is where we get the word agonize from. When's the last time we agonized over a soul? We were brokenhearted over someone going to hell. Paul says, whereunto I also labor, striving, agonizing, According to his working, that word working there speaks of God's energy, his power, his enabling, which worketh in me mightily. In other words, God is working in me to work out the gospel of Jesus Christ, strengthening me, enabling me to tell others. It could be you're here today and you you want to be a witness. You want to tell others about Christ. You want to pass out tracts, but there's this lack of boldness and Maybe some fearfulness. The Bible says, Paul says, the apostle Paul, that great preacher, that great Christian, he says, it's not me that's doing it, it's God working it in me. When you get saved, Christ in you, the hope of glory moves in. Christ in you. But then he doesn't just come and sit. He comes and energizes and empowers. To be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with Christ. And he empowers us to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. The gospel ministry, it's a suffering ministry. In this life, we're going to suffer for Christ and for others. It's a scriptural ministry. God wants this accomplished in people's lives. And it's a soul-winning ministry. It is you and I, as a church, taking the truth of Christ to hopeless people to people who don't know him, If you go to town today, somebody in here, you're, you're going to go to Walmart, you're going to go somewhere, a restaurant. If you go somewhere today, outside of your home, you're more than likely going to run into somebody who's on their way to hell. They're all around us. But God has given us this ministry. Like how Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, It's the ministry of reconciliation to bring the gospel to sinners. So, don't get mad at God for the suffering. Anticipate God accomplishing his word in people's lives. And get involved in this gospel ministry. And in the power of Christ, not your own strength, not your own wisdom, in the power of Christ, let's take the gospel.